everyone, this is Regina. So glad you could join us today. We want you to know that we record live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's get into our discussion today. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you now. I'm first of all, thanking you for this opportunity. Uh, looking for your heart and mind that we would be in sync with that which you would call us to do. Let us go forth in speaking the truth that changes hearts and minds for all who listen to, to today's program and for all those who will connect in the future as well. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we left off last time. Uh, and so we're still in Kevin's book on Woked Up. And we had a really deep discussion about the intersection of social Darwinism and Marxism. And we're going to continue that conversation today as we talk more about social Darwinism. And then we talk about how that connects us to Karl Marx. So what I'm going to do is read a few chapters and then throw it out to the guys for some comments. And then anyone in our audience, you know, if some thoughts come to you or questions that you want to ask, we'll bring you up on the platform shortly. But we are glad to have you here. So here I am starting on page 94 on social Darwinism. Until now, the major roadblock to the ultimate goal has been how do we get free people to give up their liberties and submit themselves to globalist masterminds. This is the same problem facing the designs of Karl Marx and Marxism. The evolution and transitory stages from Darwin's theories to social Darwinism to cultural Marxism and now to modern day wokeism have been subtle. Mostly the changes appear as just semantics and linguistics aiming to reflect shifting cultural paradigms. Foundationally, however, Darwinism and Marxism undergird Wokesism. Having explored the essentials of Darwin's theories as they pertain to race, we can now turn to better understand and interpreting Karl Marx. Recognizing the dots connecting historical facts and truths about Darwin's role in unleashing institutionalized and scientific rationalizations for race and white supremacy, we realize that only the most hateful, debased, and demented types of personalities are seduced to fully embrace his theories. Karl Marx is perhaps the best example of this personality. He took Darwin's naturalist, materialist notions to heart and unleashed a confluence of Darwinism coupled with utopian dreams of ancient political philosophers to culminate in what we call today being woke or cultural wokeism. However, as you awaken to the realities, you'll recognize that the notion of woke is more like a joke due to the noted ironies. This becomes clear when uncovering and more fully assessing 
the sordid and wholly diabolical background of history of Karl Marx. So one of the things we talked about in our last session was um, that the idea of utopianism, the idea of one world rule or masterminds is not new. We mentioned Plato and his play, The Republic. We mentioned um, Thomas More's Utopia and Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. And what we talked about is that there has always been this idea, right, that utopia would consist of a small group of people helping the commonwealth humanity to live to the best of their ability because alone, left alone, it, it wouldn't, people would die off the world would self-implode if someone didn't take control. And, you know, our discussions last week also include the fact that, you know, as a people of faith, we understand that it's always been about questioning the authority of God, right? If he set all of these things in order, who are we to come around now and say, well, this race is not good. You know, the earth can't sustain us. So let us be in control and let everybody else bow to us and we'll make sure that everybody has enough food to eat, water to drink, and air to breathe. And so these ideas of having a utopia where, you know, there's a group of people who come together and, and help the mindless other people figure out how to live is not new. And so what we're combining together or what we're laying foundation for is that this idea of being woke is not new. It's not a new revolution. It's uh, not something that just happened organically. It's been something that's been systematized and introduced in a way that makes it look organic but it's still really where everyone has free choice but it really is still about a small group of people controlling the larger population. Uh, Kevin or Lonnie, anything you want to add to that? Uh, that's a that's a real good synopsis there, Regina. Um, you know, the whole idea is is that we're being seduced into believing that as the world turns, as history unfolds, as America just goes down its normal path, these viral moments just show up. And they just they just happen to be, you know, part of our cultural trajectory, right? But uh, again, you and you as you mentioned and as you, you know, so appropriately put it, these are nefarious force forces that have been at strategically at, at, at hell bent literally on changing society for millennia. And so this is not a, oh, you know, wokeism is just our new sort of uh, cultural viral moment that evolved due to, uh, you know, George Floyd or CRT or anything. No, 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 no. These are, these are things that have been strategically, uh, you know, sort of, um, I don't want to say strategically manufactured, uh, but they've been strategically 
identified and and uh, manipulated to take advantage of circumstances that uh, that we've seen over time. And so I think your synopsis and, and that was uh, was great. On point, Kevin, um, I would add and think for me is that I come back to is we know better. We know better than the creator of all, which I find uh, truly fascinating that uh, an individual who can literally think into existence, galaxies and planets and suns and everything else, but uh, we know better. And as we move away and, and take on and, and, and which with much um, enthusiasm, these thought processes that we can figure all these things out and, and just to take it down to, I guess, the total ridiculous level. I just have this picture of uh, the creator of all sitting in heaven with, uh, with his son and they're chatting and, 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 and Jesus says to the creator of all, dad, um, why didn't you think to, to, to accommodate uh, enough water for the people on, on earth and oil because uh, you know they're running out of oil and um, accommodate for uh, looking after the little ones the um, the children and there's people starving to death and all these different things that are taking place on the earth and in the creator hall just did, did not have the um, the foresight if you will to think about these things and, and make provision for these things when we know in the word of God he made provision for everything if we, his creation, would bow our knees and submit to him and take on his guidance, which is defined in that book of books called the Bible. And so today we have what you just laid out, Kevin, and what we see taking place in society. And I just, I, I, am I just too dumb to, to understand what these folks in the world understand is what the, the truth is? and. Um, I just happen to believe in that there's someone, some great entity that is a lot smarter than we are that has made provision for everything on this rock we live on called Earth. And all we need to do is submit to him. So uh, these so-called smart people and, you know, as, and you've, as you've illustrated, going all the way back to Charles Darwin and some of his cohorts that have created this dynamic that's taken place that we just seem to be fully in love with as a people. Good point. Good point, Lonnie. Okay, let's continue. Let's recall the irony of the completely opposite forces of two men, Abraham Lincoln and Charles Darwin, being born in the same year the same is true for the powerful diametric forces of Karl Marx and Frederick Douglass. Both men were born in 1818, but there the similarities end. Marx hated God and boasted his ultimate goal in life was to dethrone God. Douglass, on the other hand, loved God, believed God divinely provided for him, and desired to serve him by becoming an ordained minister. Marx was born privileged and elitist, so he was referred to as lazy while audaciously raged against capitalism. Douglas, on the other hand, was born into slavery, 
worked hard every day of his life, and out of his love for capitalism became a successful entrepreneur. Marx died angrily, embracing unforgiveness toward those he thought didn't do enough to financially support him. While Douglas was so committed to repentance and forgiveness, he went out of his way to find and forgive his past enslavers. To this day, Marx and Douglas have left indelible marks on humanity. Their respective ideologies live on as their legacy serves as a great reminder and example. Truly, both legacies still exert profound influence in individual lives and in culture and societies worldwide. But again, they held wholly diametric views and the only one thing they shared in common was the year they were born. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip through that and get to this part here. Marx's political philosophies were born of aggrievement for his pathetic life and his avowed commitment to following Darwin and his theories. Darwin's origin of species was read, reread, and had a major ideological influence on Karl Marx. Marx saw survival of the fittest as validating his dialectical conflict, where labor and community organizers would create domestic chaos to enable communist dictators to usurp power. Karl Marx wrote to LaSalle, January 16, 1861, Darwin's book is very important and serves me as a basis in natural selection for the class struggle in history. Additionally, Marx dedicated a personal copy of his book, Das Kapital, to Charles Darwin, inscribing that he was a sincere admirer of Darwin. When Darwin's theories, again fully encompassing anti-God theories on creation, while offering justification for scientific racism, are overlaid and coupled with perpetual aggrievement and discontent, a monster like Marx can easily emerge. You know, the thing that stands out is that it, it's not just Marx who can um, easily emerge, if you will. I mean, when you think about anyone who would uh, put together the idea that you create domestic chaos so that you can enable communist dictators to usurp power. I mean, because the only way you're going to get everybody to agree that your solution is the best is if everything is in chaos and you rise as the one answer to meet all. And doesn't that sound exactly like the Antichrist, right? And what we understand and we've been taught through scriptures that when all this chaos is happening in the world, there will be one ruler who will rise up and seem to bring peace. And that seems to be a theme all throughout the scriptures. Uh, go ahead, Kevin. I saw you come off mic. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So... What's what's really, uh, you know, and I hope that the listeners really kind of pay attention to this. What's really interesting is the two divergent paths that Frederick Douglass and Karl Marx took, born same year, same age and all that. 
Um, and they were just completely diametrically opposed to one another. As a matter of fact, he had some apologists for Frederick Douglass today that believed that he would have been a leftist today who says, you know, Frederick Douglass would have, uh, well, what would he think about, you know, wokeism and, uh, you know, a socialism? And I have to confirm this part of history. I said he detested Karl Marx. They knew each other. Douglass followed his work. He knew very well who Marx was. And he completely rejected Marx, completely. It wasn't even close. And so, uh, so that's number one. But the other thing that's really interesting about this is the fact that um, uh, when, I was, when, when you were speaking about this, how you have to destroy, literally destroy, um, existing paradigms of capitalism. And, it, you know, with your revolutionaries in order to create an opportunity for communism. Now, some I've, I'm, we're asked all the time, we on this team are asked all this time, all the time, what is the end game here? Why is, uh, you know, why is our streets so chaotic and, and, and um, uh, what's, what's really going on? Why is the race stuff now so at a fever pitch? Why is it such extreme, um, you know, uh, volatility and commitment to this whole race issue? And I have to, you know, confirm to them, look, there are nefarious forces, worldwide forces, in the World Economic Forum that wants and needs to get America um, to, to implode so they can then bring us into the globalist utopia that, that Marx and so many others talked about, right? So this is not, you know, we're seeing BLM and Antifa and uh, CRT and DEI and, you know, Ibram X. Kendi and all these folks. This is kind of happening in a vacuum and it's disconnected from what's happening in the world. It's very connected. As a matter of fact, Ibram X. Kendi is a disciple of Klaus Schwab, who is the guy over the World Economic Forum. Now, go figure that out. Um, but he's listed as a disciple in America uh, for the World Economic Forum. So it's very connected, what's happening in our streets and the, the level of agitation, the level of perpetual kind of pushing and punching at agreement, trying to get races to be, you know, at agreement with one another. The idea is if he can create enough chaos in the streets here in America, then you have, if you have a puppet in the White House that will throw up their hands and say, look, come on, uh, UN, come on, w, you know, World Economic Forum. We, you know, we really can't handle the chaos in our streets. We're ready to go to the global reset. That's, that's what's happening. So, you know, I know I've, I've sort of digressed, but I'm trying to connect the dots so you can see literally what's, you know, Marx and his influence to this very day. On point, Kevin. Um, I'm searching for words here, but um, I, I just think I think you nailed it. Thinking, here's what I've jotted down. I just was taking some notes, and what's ironic to me is that. Frederick Douglass, who was born into slavery, you would think would become what Karl Marx um, 
and his contemporaries came as becoming a socialist and communist. But being born into slavery because of his, the impact of his faith and the, being a Christian, he embraced capitalism because he saw, even though he suffered through, um, through the racism from being a slave, he, he, he could see clearly um, which, which was the right path. And then you have Karl Marx, on the other hand, who was born into privilege, yet embraced this mindset of uh, mindset of chaos, I would call it, in embracing, um, well, you know, all the things that you just laid out, Kevin, and what we see and deal with today. It's just, I, I, I'm just amazed how someone can come from uh, the obstacles that were put before him, which were um, heavy obstacles, but, but, but then having a clear mind and and, 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 sight, and, I, and I think that came from his faith and his faith in God to see there was a better way and then to pursue his own freedom, um, as it were, and then to become a, a, a staunch supporter of the, the values that we hold uh, near and dear today and that we're trying to get um, uh, America and, and Americans um, to, to, to see or, or to rediscover our true roots and uh, how we became um, a great nation. You know, the the other thing to take into consideration here when you look at uh, governments, revolutions, the world in general, even look in your own community. When you find people, you know, so we are of the, the faith that would call themselves Christians, Protestant Christians. And yet, what I've noticed is that if you are an individual who would submit yourself to authority, we can basically kind of move along a path. And, and I don't mean like authority in your own self, but a, an authority that's higher than humanity. Because, so one would say Mother Teresa or Gandhi did not necessarily have the same faith system that we had. Yet the way that they approached addressing the ills of the world was not to create chaos and then try to set, you know, one class of people higher than another. And so uh, when you look at uh, what's happening in our society and those who are drawing those dividing lines, there are people that we have a lot more in common with than we think, and we should not, let's try not to, and I'm not saying that anyone in this platform does, but it just brought me into thinking about, um, as we want to call for unity, let's not silo ourselves within a faith structure, right? Because, you know, we don't want to say, well, we're a Protestant Christian and this is how we believe and you don't believe that way that's not necessarily so you know and we we can also go to the extreme of christians who persecute <laughs> right and christians who show prejudice and christians who who kill right and uh so if it's causing chaos that's probably the first place to say ah uh, <laughs> 
you're not on the same side as me, right? Because we do see Christians who are out bombing abortion clinics, you know, hurting people, harming people with their words, you know, uh, denigrating humanity with uh, their actions and yet still call themselves people of faith. So if you are causing chaos, I think that's the first place. And it, it still goes back to me to the garden. What did evil do? He wanted to bring division between humanity and their creator. And what do you do is you question, did that person really say that? And so then that begins to say, well, maybe you have a different type of authority. So it, it so comes down to authority, to causing chaos. Um, and, and I think we need to, to really look at that. And so even if you just kind of look at revolutions and countries and things that have happened across the world, you're going to see that underlying thing is that causing chaos. If you're bringing division, then, you know, you're of evil. Definitely. So back to our book. In 1862, in an 1862 letter to Frederick Engels, Marx described leading 19th century German socialist Ferdinand LaSalle in the following way. The Jewish nigger LaSalle fortunately departs at the end of this week. It is now absolutely clear, and that's so funny that he's in 1860, not that it's funny, right? It's not funny, but you're saying Jewish and nigger in the same sentence from a Caucasian person. Like, really? Okay, back to the, the, the letter. It is now absolutely clear to me that as both the shape of his head and his hair texture shows, he descends from the Negroes who joined Moses's flight from Egypt unless his mother or grandmother on the paternal side hybridized with a nigger. Now this combination of Germanness and Jewishness with a primarily Negro substance creates a strange product. The pushiness of the fellow is also nigger-like. This was a letter that he wrote in an observation and how he defined another human being. Wow. Marx's racism was just as hideous and grotesque as his physical appearance. It was boundless. Though he was of Jewish descent, Marx characterized, characterized Jews as follows. The worldly religion of Jews was hungstering. Eric Van Rie, a lecturer at the Institute for East European Studies of the University of Amsterdam, wrote of Marx and Engels' racism in a paper for the Journal of Political Ideologies. He explained how racial classifications and explanations of economic development were components of early Marxist thought. So when was this? I'm trying to look at this. Okay, so we're still, all right. I'm looking for a, Okay, so we're still in the 1800s, okay. Um, 
In Marx and Engels' understanding, racial disparities emerge under the influence of shared natural and social conditions, hardening into heredity and of the mixing of blood. They racialize skin color groups, ethnicities, nations, and social classes, while endowing them with an innate superior and inferior character trait. They regarded race as part of humanity's natural condition upon which the production system rested. Races endowed with superior qualities would boost economic development and productivity, while the less endowed ones would hold humanity back. And see, this is so important. And some people may be like, why? You're like beating a dead horse. Because if you don't understand the foundation of which a thing is built, you won't even know how to bring it down. You won't know the difference between the root and the fruit, right? Because if you're not, if you're hitting at the fruit of something, you're really not going to break it down. You really have to get to and understand the root of a thing because then you know where the problem is coming from. And so when we, with our words, when we set things in order, when things are established and put in place and other people come and begin to build on it, even if they don't understand the foundation, they are still building on that foundation of racism. They are still building on that foundation of hatred. So it's not just like, oh, well, I'm not a Marxist, so it's not a problem, right? Or, oh, you know, what does Marxism have to do with wokeism? You know, or Marxism is just a communist thing. It is so much deeper than that because the foundations of how wokeism is being rolled out is interwoven with Darwin and Marx. And so there's no way to separate it and make it good, right? It's like if you have a dirty glass of water, if the glass is dirty and you put clean water in it, the water becomes dirty. You know, you pour out the water, the glass is still dirty, you put more clean water in it, it's still dirty, right? And so we can't use that vehicle now to try to bring out something good. Right? You either have, you have to destroy that vehicle, get rid of it. You're not able to use that process anymore to try to bring something good out of it. And so trying to say that, well, I'm going to go over and help wokeism understand, you know, and try to use it to do something good. It's just not possible because interwoven in that are Darwin's and Marx's theories and philosophies which therefore put you in this place of never being able to bring something good out of that because fundamentally it is wrong. Kevin, Lonnie, and Neil, good to see you. Hey, y'all, let me jump in right now then. Let me explain, let me expand on what you just said because what you said is very true. The problem with all this stuff is the very core premise is faulty. And so when the core premise is faulty, everything else that follows is going to be defective. It's like saying, you know, you're going in and you see somebody has a disease and you say, well, this disease is caused by the night airs. You know, your very fundamental premise, when actually it's caused by a bacterial infection, your very fundamental premise is wrong. So everything that proceeds from there is going to be wrong and everything is going to hurt rather than help. And so I think right at the core, as you explained, is you can't start with 
something that's corrupt and expect to get something pure out of it. It's just not going to happen. In fact, it's just going to make things worse and worse and worse. Absolutely. That's the, um, that's the issue. Glad to, glad to see you also, Neil. Um, that's the issue that we, that we wrestle with. Okay. So I understand that a lot of people who would identify as being woke today, are gripped and swept into a movement because maybe they were coerced, maybe they felt pressure, maybe they just they just wanted to try to represent something that's good, and they thought that woke being woke about you know canceling people and censoring people and doing all this other woke stuff, right, is 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 really for the greater good. So there's a lot of people that would fall into that category. Unfortunately, for those people, they're now by virtue of what we're what we're asserting, what we're reading, what we're what we're grounding with actual facts about, you know, the the, the whole you know background and roots and foundations of of white supremacy and racism from Darwin to Marx, and then now Marx to his revolutionary uh, Marxists that are represented today as wokesters. The problem with that is that if you accept Marxism, any form of Marxism, socialism, Marxism, or communism then you're complicit with white supremacy and racism. And there's nothing you can do about it other than denounce and renounce it. So if you're being woke today, unfortunately, you're, you're now faced with reality that you're embracing something that is completely, uh, you know, the opposite of what you really want to represent. Because you're, you're right now you're going and you're, confronting people about their white supremacy and racism while you're embracing something that's fully rooted in it by definition. So it's just not. And so now you're faced with, gosh, how do I get out of this conundrum? Right? So the only way out, you can't try to cleanse the woke movement. Even you can't cleanse it of Marxism. It's ridiculous because it's, that's what it is. You, you have to step away from it. So that's the uh, that's the data point. That's the takeaway. Ronnie. It certainly is, Kevin. It's my frustration point is um, trying to articulate that to folks who would tell me, well, um, there's some really good aspects of uh, socialism and um, it's good things it's in socialism. It was just done wrong in the past because when I point out the fact that it's never fared uh, well for people um, who live in a nation or country that uh, uh, adapts socialism and give them examples like uh, Venezuela and Cuba and a host of others, there's some good things. They just weren't doing it right, uh, which is why I believe that um, this book that was written by you, sir, and and and, and inspired from he from heavens above um, to give us a tool that we can use because this is what I'm pointing people to now, to so they can learn to become educated on the origins, so they won't say these things that they tell me that uh, well, there's good aspects of socialism. And I and and in particular for folks with the darker paint job, I say, well, you name one nation that adopted socialism and by default communism eventually uh, where folks with a darker paint job fared well and they could name one so it's um 
it's frustrating to see because it's become so pervasive within our uh, culture today um, here in this nation. And um, so here we are as the, the Davids taking on the Goliaths to, begin to push back. The other thing that's important to understand is that communism is supposedly the perfect stateless society, which means that nobody's in control. Everybody's participating as a free, independent person who shares. So, and socialism is the way to get to communism. There's a couple of problems here. One, nobody is selfless and, uh, you know, you heard of the seven deadly sins, right? Greed, gluttony, pride, sloth, which is laziness. So socialism's fundamental problem is that it expects everybody to work as hard as they can and only take what they need. But instead, everybody works as little as they need and they take as much as they can, which is the sin nature, which is what the Bible talks about. So the fundamental core premise of socialism and Marxism and communism is all basically faulty because no human beings like that until they get to heaven, perhaps. Right. And so uh, and so that's the first problem. You're, you're never going to get that. The second problem you're going to have is the very fundamental concept of sin nature says with socialism, you're going to have to have a fascist control to take over the people and force them to share. And so you get this government that is a totalitarian government that's end up going to end up controlling everything. And then who are these angels in government are, that are going to willingly give up power to have a stateless society? Never. And that's why you don't see, oh, well, Kim Il-jung in, Cuba, in uh, North Korea or in Cuba going, hey, we received socialism. Now we're gonna give up power. You'll never see that, why? Because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And where are you gonna find these perfect, wonderful, amazing angels? We're going to be so willing to give up power. And that's what you see all over the world. The fundamental premise of communism and socialism, Marxism is faulty, it'll never work. It's not that it hasn't been tried correctly. Excellent point, Neil. Excellent, excellent. Let's continue. Mark's ultimate goal was to compete with and dethrone God. He virulently, virulently hated God and even the notion of God. His motivation to start the communist movement was to overthrow the existing social order while undermining religions and faith. Marx envisioned reorienting human nature with communism occupying the center of the universe for every individual. To eventually arrive to the point of mass adoption of communism, Marx knew he would have to instill chaos and division to drive toward an eventual revolution. Let me read that again because that is exactly what these race things are doing right now. Marx envisioned reorienting human nature with communism occupying the center of the universe for every individual. So we know that it should be the creator, but he's replaced it with a system, okay? To eventually arrive to the point of mass adoption of communism, Marx knew he would have to instill chaos and division to drive toward an eventual revolution. Marx anticipated that persistent social discord would eventually overthrow the prevailing social order. 
And isn't that exactly true? That is what's happening. To agitate the masses, he encouraged criticizing everything. We definitely see that happening. Now, this communism was started when? when we're talking, uh, where is he? 1800s, right? 1800s. It's uh, 2022. This philosophy, this strategy <laughs> is still is still being worked on, right? Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, actually, Marx didn't see his grand scheme come to fruition. Uh, he put these ideas out there, but they didn't really take root until after he was gone. And so it's, it's taken about 100 years. I think probably around, and correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, but probably around uh, after you know, World War One or something like that, 1930s or something, uh, is when it really happened. So we're just about 100 years into this thing. Uh, he, when he said he wanted, he, he, his whole philosophy required that we critically, you know, analyze and critically assess and critically agitate everything, that is the culmination of critical theory, that the guys who, who actually started critical theory in, in Columbia University uh, when they escaped Hitler, that was that that's that's what they did. And that's what we see today with critical race theory, critical legal theory, critical, you know, um, gender theory, all of these critical queer theory, all of these things are fundamental to what Marx was trying to get. But he never saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it basically started with uh... Lenin's takeover of the Russian um, czar's palace and things like that. By the way, just so you know the history of that, that was a, uh, when they took over Russia, they did it without a shot being fired because everybody was uh, hiding and uh, the, all the czar had kind of fled and uh, Lenin took over and there were a bunch of factions there. Lenin wasn't supposed to be the one who won but he was funded by the Rothschild and the World Bank and uh, what the equivalent of the World Bank back then. Uh, and he was put into power in a sense. And but it wasn't a popular movement at all. So what they realized, though, is the only way to get people to adopt all these critical theories and all these things was to start teaching it in the colleges. And that's what these guys from Columbia University, the Franklin, the Frankfurt School, uh, did is they came in, they said, okay, we got to start teaching this at the college level. And so we have these kids who've been brought up, brainwashed into this theory. Because, I mean, if you think about it, none of these theories make sense. They're all illogical, irrational, and have no basis in fact or history or anything. And yet we have kids coming out of these colleges who are gung-ho on these and because they've been brainwashed by their professors, and it took them decades to make this happen. So, yeah, you had the first communists who did it by violence and by force. Uh, you know, Lenin takes over. And then, of course, after the Second World War, we have Mao in China. And then we have the spreading of the communism throughout Central Asia. Uh, and so you see um, Southeast Asia and stuff like that. And so you see all this happening. But um, a lot of it had to be brainwashed into our kids. And that's how it came here. Thank you. So to agitate the masses, he encouraged criticizing of everything. 
In a letter to Arnold Rouge, Marx stated, the ruthless criticism of the existing order. Ruthless, ruthless in that it will shrink neither from its own discoveries nor from conflict with the powers that be. He pushed for the ruthless and unceasing criticism of all that exists. That's that evil again, like did God say. Wokesters of the world today, in fact, unite around the same principle of insatiably criticizing all existing social order. That's our cancel culture. The criticism from wokesters is relentless. If you are a business owner, wokesters criticize you by asserting you didn't build that or our collective afforded you the ability to succeed, therefore you owe us. You must pay for your fair share. Suppose you're a white Christian male and father. In that case, you are criticized by summarily being deemed part of the American patriarchy. Therefore, you're a white supremacist and racist, even though wokish ideology was born out of Darwin and Marx, who were definitively racist and white supremacist. So they're wearing the t-shirt that says, I belong to Darwin and Marx, <laughs> which is basically saying, I belong to a group of people who support racism and white supremacy. And then they're turning around and calling these other people the exact same thing that they have hitched their wagon to. If you are a free thinking black person who fully observes the brainwashing and duplicitous false narratives, and therefore you reject the racism of Darwin, Marx, and eugenics of Planned Parenthood, then you are criticized as white passing, having internalized racism or a myriad of other pejoratives. Suppose you are a white male or female. In that case, you are mercilessly criticized because your supposed ignorance of white privilege. And therefore you must experience the guilt and shame of what has happened to blacks of generations past, notably during slavery. And what's the most amazing thing, this is, okay, like this gets me. How are, I'm going to ask, how are all these Caucasian people telling other Caucasian people that they don't understand the plight of black Americans? You see that more than you see black people doing that. Right. And so, you know, I remember a time when, uh, what was that movie? You know, I never watched the movie, but I heard about it, the help. Right. And so it's this, I think it, tell me if I'm wrong. I think the premise of it was the idea that the civil rights and black right couldn't happen without white supporters. I mean, even Frederick Douglass, right. You, you, you needed to, to build relationship and alliances with those who were your perceived um, enforcers of the crime or, or whatever that's being happened to you so that they could argue for you on your behalf. But I don't know that it was supposed to go to the way that it is right now. Like I feel like it went too far, right? There's one thing about building allies, right? So, you know, if you have you know, two warring factions, you're going to find somebody on the other side who you can relate to, who, who's like, you know what, I think we should work together and we should find peace. 
but that doesn't negate the fact that then you know the other side then goes around you know criticizing scrutinizing alleging all these things about the people in their own community and yet it doesn't bring back any end result for the community that they're trying to advocate for you know what i'm saying like it doesn't it, it the the whole idea of advocacy was never meant that the victim is just supposed to sit in the corner and the advocate goes out and just slays everybody with their mouth just accuses incinerates starts chaos on behalf of the victim and it's like okay victim don't worry i got this you know and it's like but that that's not even that's not even bringing resolution to you know, and I'm not saying that black people are victims. I'm just kind of laying out this, this theory, this, you know, picture of how is it that you have suburban white people who are going into these professional business places and calling everybody white privileged and you have all these white, and you, and it's like, well, as a black person, I'm like, okay, how does that help me? besides give you money to fund your training session that you need. It's like you are making money off of the situation that is happening here in our society, in our community. Uh, we have a comment from, oh, okay. What are you saying, Brandon Smith? Brandon Smith says, I'm surprised that the Heath Ranger interview didn't get more folks headed your way. Maybe they just don't do YouTube. Do we have a Heath, do we have a Heath Ranger? Uh, Brandon, you're going to have to tell us what you mean by the Heath Ranger interview. Uh, <laughs> because I don't, we don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, please give us more on that, Brandon, if you're still listening. Anyways, just my thoughts. Anyone else want to comment on that idea of you're seeing so many white suburbans who are, uh, who yeah. are, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great, great point. To, to, to your point, though, look, let's look, look at this. We have all of these white suburban and uh, well-to-do people that are well-educated, uh, most of them white, who advocate now for defunding the police. It, but they've never grown up in an urban environment. They have no idea how dangerous it is. And yet they try to say, no, I'm doing this for, for you know, for, for the blacks that are, you know, uh, you know, unnecessarily incarcerated and unnecessarily targeted by police. And, uh, oh, by the way, I want to empty out all the prisons too. And I'm thinking, these people are just, they're clueless. They don't know what crime is. They don't know what evil is. They don't know... You know, because you, they were grown up in, in a place that just didn't, they insulated them from it. So these are preposterous ideas, and they're trying to pander, but it's dangerous to have people like this, okay? The other thing is, is that, to your point, Regina, Robin D'Angelo, who wrote White Fragility, uh, she makes, what, $20,000, $40,000 for a 45-minute speech? Uh, her trainers go around the country, and they make $10,000 a day or something preposterous like that. 
for these companies that they do this this right fragility training with? I mean, it's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then she, the thing is, is that she identifies as more of a Marxist. And so my comment to her has always been, look, if you're a Marxist, why are you charging? Why don't you, you know, just go around the country and just say, no, no, I don't want any money. Or if you get money, give it all away to your 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 the black ladies, the black folks that are with you and handling your bags. Right now, you're making millions upon millions of dollars. And you say, you know, we need to, you know, make way for blacks to get gain power. Well, why are you why do you why aren't you saying hey to that black assistant you have next to you? Hey girl, listen, I want you to go and you're on Front Street now. I'm going to be at all your sessions. I'll coach you on it. But I want you to take all that money, that forty thousand dollars. That's yours. That's yours. I'm just going to be your helper. If you just want to make way for blacks, right? And if you're a Marxist, which she says she is, so what? Marxists don't need money. <laughs> Why? Give it to give it to your the black folks that is with you, that's training with you, and give them all the money, and you go ahead and live in a little, you know, what is little, you know, pop up tents or whatever, you know. So. Um, you, you get the idea. I mean, she has to live, but, but you know, really Marxists, you know, it, it's like, you know, I want to live like the common man. So, um, so that's my point on that is that you're absolutely right. These people are hypocritical in the way that they do this thing. Thank you. Lonnie, Neil, go ahead and, and give your comments as we are, we're almost at the top of the hour. Go ahead, Lonnie. Yeah. I just uh, quickly wanted to state it's akin to, uh, the uh, the elite within the rap stars and so forth and entertainers who uh, walk around with Che Guevara t-shirts on and uh, not understanding Che Guevara being having been a uh, rabbit racist and um, in, in addition to being a socialist and, and, um, and a communist um, ignorant but you know this is what this is what we see out out there today I, I remember being in Washington DC during the um, all the marches and so forth that were taking place and um, they would bus in the um, the white kids from suburbia and have them put on the uh, uh, they'd wear all black and um, be color coordinated and, and break out their spray paint and spray paint buildings and break windows and so forth and they were all led by an organizer who would choreograph them as to which streets to go down and this kind of thing. Um, so <laughs> this is akin to that, that, that very thing. Just, to, I just wanted to point that out. Not my, not my tells. <laughs> we, we, we gotta love Neil, huh? <laughs> a man of few words, but when he does talk, <laughs> you know, it's like get your lexic, get your lexicon and your dictionary, <laughs> get your voice recorder, because you might not hear from him again. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. This is the end of our discussion today. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to hear your voice, so please consider joining us live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, have a great day.